really glad you're here. So, a uh, <clears throat> question for you as we begin this time. Speaking of Mother's Day, who do you resemble? Who do you resemble? Maybe it's your dad, maybe it's your mom, maybe it's one of your siblings, uncle. When we had, uh, when we had our first child, Graham, uh, as Kylie held him for those few precious moments, um, uh, she had wonderful thoughts, many wonderful thoughts. But before long, she had this thought. <gasps> oh my gosh, I've given birth to my brother. <laughs> Grandma, especially in those early days, did resemble Brendan quite a bit. I have um, three brothers. Um, the resemblance is not just physical. It, it, it's behavioral. It, it's, it's seen in the way we laugh, in the inflections in our voice. Um, as, as fun and as deep as it is to talk about who we resemble physically, the real question we want to ask is, who do we resemble spiritually? Who do we resemble spiritually? That's one of the key questions this part of Philemon poses. So we began uh, this letter to uh, Philemon last week. For those of you who weren't here uh, last week and would like uh, to be re refreshed or weren't here at all. Um, uh, a little, little review is in order. When, when Paul wrote the letter of Colossians to the church community in Colossae, he also wrote this, this other letter to one individual in that church, one of the um, church's leaders. And his name was Philemon. Philemon was a prominent, well-to-do business owner in the community and, and fitting with the norm of, of Roman culture, Pastor Philemon owned slaves. Slavery was different than, than chattel slavery in, in America in big ways. So, um, as I said last week, instead of kidnapping Africans and forcing them to work for the rest of their lives in horrific conditions without pay and without hope of ever having um, or, or eventually gaining freedom. People in Roman times became slaves for a season, for the most part. It was mostly a system of indentured servanthood. Roman culture depended heavily on, on the institution of, of slavery. It, uh, it depended on it. It, it. it ran on slavery. Nevertheless, slavery was wrong. God never supports it, never endorses it, never puts a stamp of approval on it because it goes against his purpose and design for human beings made in the image of God to flourish freely. But like a lot of things since the fall, uh, God tolerates, God has a certain tolerance level for sin and sinful systems. The sins of individuals and the societies God hates sin. God hates sinful systems, including slavery. Well, it's under that system of slavery that Philemon heard the life-changing news, the life-changing history-altering news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, his cross, his resurrection, from the mouth of Paul. He'd received God's free, free grace. He placed his full faith in Jesus. He was a new man. And yet, he engaged in slavery, this, this broken, sin-filled system. 
But it gets personal. Onesimus was, was his slave who'd run away. He was away. Onesimus had this miraculous spirit-led encounter with, yep, you know it, the Apostle Paul. He, too, becomes a, a believer. What's more, Onesimus doesn't be just become a believer, doesn't just become a brother in Christ. He becomes Paul's personal assistant. You can't write this stuff. So Paul finds himself in a very de delicate position. Did he really have to insert himself into this situation between Onesimus and Philemon? Did he have to put Onesimus at risk of punishment, at risk of rejection? After all, Roman law was squarely in Philemon's corner. But, did he see this as, as an opportunity? An opportunity for Philemon's growth as a, as a disciple. An opportunity for Onesimus to know the brotherly love from his you know, earthly master who he had wronged. And an opportunity for uh, a really a watching world to, to witness the power of the gospel. Well, that's what compels Paul to write the letter in the first place. And to choose Onesimus, the slave, to personally de deliver it to Philemon. It's amazing. It's a short letter. It's, uh, in fact, it's Paul's shortest letter in the New Testament but it packs a punch. It's a masterpiece. Why? Because it tells you and I, you and me, <laughs> how the gospel applies to life. Even 2,000 years ago, even, even um, for those of us who live in, the, in a day and age when we think of slavery as being a thing of the past, a thing of the distant past, this letter tells you, shines brightly on the relevance and profundity of the gospel. So we read this whole thing uh, last, last week, but I'd like to do that again. Um, so if you have a Bible, we're looking at Philemon, uh, all of it, verses 1 through 27. Um, and let's stand together as we, as we do that. Letter of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier in the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my, ch for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my, in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, 
but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The word of the Lord. You can have a seat. So as we said last week, as we looked at the first seven verses, uh, a key theme from this letter is the cost of following Jesus. As Onesimus made the decision to return to his master, not knowing whether he would be rejected or punished or accepted or embraced, he was counting the cost. As Philemon received this letter from Onesimus' hand, he, he knew his legal rights, but Jesus, through Paul, was calling him to lay down those rights and embrace his new brother in the faith. That's, that's a cost Philemon was counting. So in verse 9, when Paul says, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, he's highlighting in big, bold letters what following Christ cost him. This is the second time he's referenced the fact that he's a prisoner. The letter opens with these words, Paul, a prisoner for Christ. He wasn't saying this because Philemon was, uh, needed the information. Oh, where's Paul? Oh, yes, he's in prison, right. No, no, no. He, Philemon knew very well where Paul was, and, and so he's saying, I've gladly given up my freedom for Christ. How much less to give up your legal rights for Onemesis' sake. You hear that? Upside down values of the kingdom. Why would anyone in their right mind do this apart from the work of the Spirit? It's the, the whole notion of the leader of all becomes a servant of all. The first will become last. To find your life, you have to give it away. That's how the kingdom grows. In other words, 
in the words of, of, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Then immediately, next verse, same sentence, Paul re- returns to the theme we're, we're going to focus on this week, the theme of family resemblance. Family resemblance. Verse 10. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Paul's subtly, implicitly saying this, Philemon, I'm your father too. I'm your spiritual dad. So are you going to follow me as I follow Christ? Or not? Do do you resemble me? Do you resemble Jesus? Or do you resemble your flesh? You know, it's interesting. Paul Paul was single all of his life. And yet, his role as a spiritual dad was one of his favorite metaphors. Here's a few. To the Corinthians, he writes, 1 Corinthians 4, 15, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. To the Galatians, he writes in Galatians 4, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until, what? Christ is formed in you. To the Philippians, he writes, but, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me with in the gospel. Who do you resemble, Philemon? Who do you resemble? Most of us uh, aren't real comfy referring to others as, you know, even others we respect or mentors um, as our spiritual moms or spiritual dads. And I'm not at all suggesting that you send them, you know, Mother's Day cards or Father's Day cards. Um, But what Paul's simply referring to is what we call discipleship. And discipleship is the process of following a leader as he or she is following Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Follow me as I follow Christ. A leader who who knows you really well. A a leader who has played a significant role in your spiritual development. A leader who has has shined a, a spotlight on the gospel and helped you to apply helped you to apply it to your life. A, a, le- a leader who has permission, who has authority to speak into your life, to, to notice blind spots, to call out sin. A leader you admire for how Jesus continues to shape and influence, and, and influence them and, and conform them more and more to himself. That's, that's discipleship. I can think of a, uh, more than a handful of people who continue to play that role in my life today. Who comes to your mind? On the flip side, who have you served as a spiritual mom, a spiritual dad? How are you, how are you, um, modeling for brothers and sisters in Christ, never mind people apart from the faith um, community, how are you modeling uh, for them 
what it looks like to, to follow Christ. It's an awesome privilege. It's an awesome responsibility. So verse 8. <clears throat> Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. Most of us uh, parents have had countless parenting moments where we've had to break up a fight between two siblings. Tell your sister you're sorry. I'm sorry. Say it like you mean it. <laughs> Look at her in the eye and say it like you mean it. Sorry. That's a command, not an appeal. If Paul had to command Philemon to forgive and embrace Onesimus, that would have defeated the whole purpose. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. In other words, I, I prefer to leave the decision in your hands. The, the fruit of commanding is duty. It's an obligation. The fruit of asking is choice. Verse 11. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to me and to, to you and to me. What's going on there? Uh, does this seem like a strange verse of what? Well, when we read this in English, we totally miss the puns, the humor, the play on, er, uh, the, the play on words. The, the meaning of the name Onesimus literally means useful. So Paul here is keeping it light with Philemon, having a little fun with his name, uh, with the name of Onesimus for a second. Formerly the man named Useful was useless. But now the new man, the redeemed man, the forgiven man, is useful to both of us. But in order for Philemon to enjoy the benefits of this new man, he's going to have to not merely forgive him. He's going to have to welcome him back into the family, welcome him at, not only as a commodity uh, of use, whose usefulness is, is measured by doing what he says, but as a brother, he's going to have to receive him as a brother to enjoy the, the fullness. As a member of his own family, as equals. For us as Westerners, yet we totally miss the radical nature of, of, of this whole thing. To, to have a Roman citizen, a household patriarch, Embrace his slave like this would have been unheard of. But that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. We've said before how, how this whole letter is a lived out parable of the gospel. There are, a few, there are several parables that come to mind. Um, the ungrateful servant, for one. But it's the parable of the prodigal son which mirrors most closely the situation at hand. In that parable, Jesus is directing his comments to the straight and, er straight and narrow phar Pharisees, right? That's his intended audience. The elder brothers. 
Paul's asking, which brother are you, Philemon? Which brother are you? So you're, you're all familiar with the parable of, of, you know, a father had two sons. The younger one said, you know what? I am done with you, Dad. I want my inheritance early. In other words, between the lines, I wish you were dead. The father gives him his inheritance, goes off, parties hard. Uh, the economy goes south. He gets in trouble. He realizes, what have I done? I've made a horrible mistake. So he says in, in Luke uh, 15, verses 18 to 19, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's Onesimus. So he, he returns this you know, fictional son. He returns with his, retur- with, with his um, practice, rehearsed speech in hand, only to find his father running down the road and embracing him, picking him up, kissing him. What in the world? The father said to his servants, bring quickly the, the best robe and put it on him, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is how the older brother responds to his younger brother's restoration, okay? He's angry. He's hacked. Why? Because the older brother keeps score and the score doesn't add up. His younger brother blew his inheritance and now he's been restored as a son? Come on. I've worked so hard. I've been so diligent. I've done all that I'm supposed to do. I've paid my dues. I've done my share. I've earned it. This is unjust. He resents his father. He's angry and and resentful. He refuses to go into the party. A, a, A massive offense in and of itself. So consequently, the father comes out to him, which, again, was unheard of. It's like the like when he ran down the road to, to meet his other son. He goes out. He pleads with him to join the party. He says, look, um, the, the older brother says, look. It's the equivalent of, look you. Very insulting, very, indiso- very dishonoring. And, and this is what his anger and his hostility reveal. He doesn't want his father. He just wants his stuff. So the younger son showed this by being very, very bad. The older son showed it by being very, very good. (laughs) If I obey, then my father will bless me. And when he didn't get blessed like he should, like he would have thought, he got angry. Verse 29, 30. Look, look you, (laughs) 
These many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command, let, yet you gave me, your, gave me a young, oh, oh, sorry, start again. Look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours shows up, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And at the root, the two sons have the same issue in common. And that same they are both lost. They are both lost. Tim Keller writes in his book, uh, the, Prodigal, the Prodigal God, the hearts of the two brothers were the same. Both sons resented their father's authority and sought ways of getting out from under it. They each wanted to get into a position in which they could tell the father what to do. Each one, in other words, rebelled, but one did so by being very bad, and the other by being, very, by being extremely good. Both were alienated from the father's heart. Both were lost, son, lost sons. Jesus knows what's behind the grumbling attitude of the straight and narrow Pharisees. They're, they were living under the assumption that if they obey God, then he will bless them. It, it, it's not love, but power that drives their obedience. They've put God in their debt. He owes them. And, and when this so-called Messiah is pursuing a relationship with people who have earned it, that doesn't add up. So they're angry, they're resentful. According to the exterior of, uh, of their lives, by all appearances, they were close to God. But in the interior, they were spiritually distant, spiritually lost. It, in other words, it's possible to be home, but for your heart to be very far away. And it's possible to be religious and moral and be just as lost as the most immoral. One form of lostness is no better than another, but older brother lostness is more dangerous simply because it's more subtle. So how do we recognize it? How, how, how can we see if we're, if we're really trying to use God to get his stuff? A couple ways. Number one, our attitude toward God in difficulty, in and through difficulty. When bad things happen, how do we respond? How do we respond to financial hardship? job loss, string of financial setbacks, putting you deeper into the hole. How, how do we respond when a health thing comes up? Chronic pain, no end in sight. How do we respond when there's a broken relationship? How do we respond when there's been a death of someone we love? Especially um, one who has been taken early, prematurely. 
When these and other bad things happen, how do we respond? Do, do we find ourselves saying something along the lines of, look you. Look you, I've kept my nose clean. Look you, I'm not like those other people. I'm a good husband, I'm a good wife, and now this has happened, and you haven't kept your end of the deal. You owe me. That look you attitude is a, is a sure sign that the elder brother at, <laughs> form of or attitude of rebellion is in us and needs to be dealt with. The, the difficult s- circumstances serve only to show the cracks in um, our, our foundation. But they were there all along. The, the good things weren't flowing out of a vital relationship with our Father. They were flowing from a heart in, that said, if I do this, then God will bless me in this way. He won't let those bad things happen. A second way we can recognize an older son lostness in us is, is by our attitudes toward others. So it's our attitude toward God, our attitude toward others. This is the indicator in the Pharisees, right? The older brothers. Can you believe Jesus is hanging out with those people? Tax collectors, prostitutes. It's the those people attitude in us that, that really points us to the elder br- brother lostness in us. We don't long for the restoration. We don't long for their good. We don't long for the reconciliation. We actually hope they get what's coming to them. Because we're keeping score, right? We're, we're actually functioning under a system of works, not grace. It's a system that says God blesses those who earn his blessing. Is that true? We all know it up here. It's not true. But down here? We can see this attitude in ourselves, and if we're not careful, we, get, we begin to feel condemned and hopeless but look how the father responds in the story that Jesus tells in the story of the prodigal son he leaves the party and goes out to him he's tender he's compassionate toward this elder brother he he leaves the party and begs him to come in and begs him to come in on the basis of what all that I have is yours All that I have is yours. That is pure grace. So, back to to Philemon for a minute. Philemon 18 and 19. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. All that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. And all that I have is Christ. 
That's who I resemble. Follow me as I follow Christ. So let me ask you, who do you resemble? Who do you resemble? The older brother who's trying to get God to bless him, working hard for it? Or Jesus, the true older brother, the the brother we all needed to give us new life and grace and steadfastness and wants nothing more than to feast and to celebrate with those who have seen their lostness and come home. We don't know exactly how the letter of Philemon ends. It's sort of a cliffhanger. Um, but the fact that it's, it, it is it has made it into the, the canon of Scripture is a pretty good indicator that Philemon um, realized his lostness, his form of lostness. He, he full-on was an elder brother. And the, and the beauty of the gospel is we get to repent. Repentance isn't a bad, dirty word. It's a, it's a great joy to say, oh, I, I forgot that it's all about grace. <laughs> I forgot that life isn't found in, in um, sex and prostitutes and all the rest, and nor is it found in working for God to bless, you, bless me. It's all about grace. All that I have is yours. All that I have is Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace, your pers-